We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Verse 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what, the, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Thank you, Hannah. Well, good morning. It is good to see you today, and uh, welcome to, uh, to Emmaus. Uh, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus, and so on behalf of our pastors, welcome, uh, and on behalf of our members, welcome. It's, if you're a guest, it's a joy to have you with us, so we'd love to meet you after the service at the Connect table out in the lobby. So stop by and say hello to us, and uh, we'd love to answer any questions that you uh, have there. Uh, Covenant members, it is a joy to be with you. I was away last week in um, Texas doing some church planning assessment for Acts 29, uh, uh, and uh, just such a joy to be able to be shared by you with other pastors and, and planters uh, around the globe to continue to help um, see churches started around our country. And so um, thanks for uh, allowing Tish and I to be gone for that. And man, I just want to say thank you to, our, uh, to, to the other pastors here at Emmaus. So that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Right, so if you've not yet shown your appreciation to your pastors, I would ask you to do so. Right, please, please do so, church. Uh, I don't say that selfishly just for myself, though I would love your appreciation as well. Um, but, but particularly to the other three men who pastor with us and just how um, faithful they are to do so. Uh, and, and then I want to go above and beyond that and say especially uh, Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Adam who do so as, um, as lay elders. They give of their time and their energy here, not vocationally, not paid by the church, but just volunteering. And so, um, and if you want to pour out your love to one of your pastors, um, I would encourage you to point it the direction of the other three and especially to those two and just care for them and love them in those ways as you love Pastor Sam and I um, even by paying us. And so, man, just I want to thank those guys. Uh, it's been four weeks since I stood here and preached. Man, what a joy to be able to stand and just hear the word preached by them um, week in and week out and be fed as you are fed that way as well. Hey, a couple announcements for us real quick. First of all is this. Um, today's the last day to register for our men's retreat. So if you're a man um, and you like retreats, then this is for you. It's a men's retreat. And so go to our website or go to our social media, register today. It's at Lake Donovan at the end of the month. And so make sure that you register today for that. And then also, um, we have coming up on November the 3rd, we're meeting at 9 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. 
right? So it's one of those days, it's daylight savings time, you gain an hour, and then just to be fun, we decided to take that hour back from you, all right, and go at nine o'clock. And so we're helping out the uh, theater and serving them that way, and it's a great test run for us uh, for the following week. But so on November 3rd, that's two weeks from today, only a 9 a.m. service, so make plans to do that. Uh, and then on November 10th, we're moving to two services. Those will be at nine and at 1045, all right, nine o'clock and 1045. Man, I just want to encourage us, uh, much like Pastor Ronnie did last week, we had mentioned this within a couple of the meetings that we've been in, that we just want to pause for a moment in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the planning and the scheduling, in the midst of some of you being like, well, I don't know which service I'm going to go to, I'm going to have to try one out and then try the other one, and what if my friends are at the other one, and then I don't know which one to go to, what if I miss them in passing, and now we feel like two different churches, I look around, hey, there's some open seats, we don't need two services, Whew. Right? In the midst of all that, for us to pause and just to go, it is a really, really kind thing of the Lord to be bringing people to hear the gospel to such a degree that we would need to do this, right? It's his grace and his kindness to us um, is something that we don't want to just pass by. What I don't want to do is 10, 15, 20 years from now, look back and go, I wish I would have enjoyed that season more. I wish I would have enjoyed what the Lord was doing there more. And so let's just remember to enjoy what he's doing to bring people to him, to save people and to draw people and to send people from this church. It's a joy to be in this place at this time um, with these people worshiping this God together, right? It's a really joyful season. So thank you all for everything that you're doing to help make that happen. So many of you have already responded and said, hey, we'll serve two Sundays, we'll serve three Sundays, we'll serve four Sundays because we can go to the other service. Thank you for that. Some of you have responded and said, hey, we can't do that for our family and I feel guilty. Don't feel guilty, right? You do what is healthy for your family and you look and pray of how you can serve the church faithfully in the midst of that as well. And so we just wanna speak to that and say, man, you faithfully serve and help um, serve each other uh, and what is healthy for you and your family, right? And let's continue to pray for generosity among our people in that sense. So thank you guys for making those plans. Nine o'clock on the third and nine and 10.45 on the 10th. Hey, let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter five. And Jesus, you are very kind and very good to bring us here. Today, we have a word for us that you have given us, that you have written to us, speaking hope to those in this room who are believers, speaking warning to those in this room who are not. We have a word that would give us comfort in suffering and burdens. We have a word that would cause us to think about something that we don't typically like to think about. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and respond. That we would be sensitive to your spirit speaking to us through your son's word given to us here. That the spirit would speak a better sermon than has been prepared within our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Today's text is going to begin with an encouragement for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It's going to give us instruction or a pleading to us for faithfulness in the life that we live. And it's going to end with what appears to almost kind of be like an out of place warning, if you will. Kind of a, well, where did that come from type of warning to those who are not truly believers? 
To begin, we want to ask two questions. And the first question is this, how often do you think about death? I know that's a strange question. How often do you think about death? It's a strange question because it's a taboo topic in our culture, right? It's something that we don't really like to discuss or to think about. Chances are you seldom go to dinner with friends and you're sitting down at the table and someone at the table just says, well, you know, I've been thinking about death a lot lately. You're like, well, this just took a strange turn of a conversation. You're seldom on a date with your wife and she's just like, you know what I've really been looking forward to is dying. That's what I've been looking forward to. You're kind of like, well, that's what my marriage does for you? Like, you want to die? All right, it's a topic we don't just discuss in normal conversation. It's a topic that we like to prolong the coming of. Death is something we want to prolong. So, so, so we do everything that we can to prolong death, to, to push it away, right? Whether that's medicine or going to the gym or diet or um, just cosmetic surgery to try to look like we're not dying. We do everything that we can to try to prolong death. And hear me, there's, there's an angle of that which is healthy stewardship of what God has given us. Right? I eat the way I eat for the purpose of being healthy with what he's given me. Right? There, there's an angle of that, and there's an angle of it that is unhealthy sinfulness of kind of this emphasis on this is all that I have. This is as good as it gets. I fear what comes next. I fear of losing this, this being this life. So we try to prolong it oftentimes out of fear of losing control over this life that we value. Death is taboo in our culture. It's something that we try to keep at a distance from normal life. There was a day when, when the typical scenario would be that people would die at home surrounded by family and friends who loved them and said last words to them and, and encouraged them and were with them. Adults and children alike witnessing this, having death be real in front of them. And today our culture more or less pushes death into hospitals connected to, to machines separated from family and home keeping the children away from it and trying to avoid those conversations so that we don't scar them for life. And death is something that, strangely enough, we as a culture embrace in fictional and fantasy versions. Whether that be through movies that romanticize death, horror films and comedies about death and um, and those such things, or, or whether it be video games where we actually get to partake in the killing of people, void of the emotional um, brokenness that would come from that experience. We like to place ourselves in places of imaginary death, and in so doing, we continually distract ourselves, and we continue to remove ourselves from actually ever truly thinking about death itself. It becomes casual and, and, and unreal and pretend to us until that day that we're actually struck with it until that day that we do have to come face to face with it. I don't speak of death casually. I've stood in a field and screamed at God in excruciating anger over my best friend being killed by a drunk driver. I've sat at the bed of my um, dear friend at age 18 as he died of cancer. I've been emotionally ravaged at the loss of an uncle killed in a tragic accident. I've wrestled with guilt and fear over a student of mine as I was a student pastor who committed suicide after rejecting counsel that I had given them. I've loved, I've, have, I've loved and walked with a friend and who lost her mother, her father, and her brother to a tornado on the same night. 
sat in the grass with the mother at 3 a.m. who lost both, both of her teenage daughters in a tragic accident. I've lost three grandparents. My wife's lost two who had adopted her and were more like parents. At one point, I'd lost 11 people close to me in a four-year period. And over the last four years, I've sat with several of you as you've lost your mothers and your siblings and even your children. Death finds all of us eventually. Finds all of us eventually. Whether it comes at age 85 or while still in the womb, the sting of death wounds us all. It wounds us all. And yet, Paul looks to death. Paul looks to what is after this life, and he goes, that is my hope. There's hope there. There's hope there. The first question, how often do you think about death? The second question, how often do you think about your burdens and your suffering? And if I were to place money on this, which I won't do, but I would, if I were to, gambled once on accident. So another story, if you want to talk to me about that. Personally, how do you accidentally gamble is a great story for you. If I were to place money on this, I would bet that most of us think about suffering far more than we think about death. Most of us think about our suffering far more than we think about our death. We try to avoid thinking about death, but our suffering is right before us every day and we can't avoid it. It's real, it's tangible, we feel it. The depression which holds you captive, longing to be happy for more than just a moment, yet constantly drugged back into the pits of despair. Perhaps yours is the chronic pain which paralyzes you, holding you hostage from the life you desire to have with your children and your family. Or the fear and the anxiety that you experience which seem to suffocate your enjoyment of anything in life. The worry that the next bill will be paid or the meal will be on the table. The nightmares you relive over abuse you experienced as a child, which feels just as if you were experiencing the abuse all over again. The anguish of grief over lost loved ones or lost dreams or lost hope. Suicidal thoughts that you bear just wishing the pain to go away. The sin that lays havoc on your life, on your soul, and on your mind every day, enticing you to hatred and to satisfaction in your creator. Or the embarrassment you feel or harassment you receive from your faith in Jesus, you just wish you could be accepted as a normal person in the circles that you run in. Whatever your burden is, whatever your suffering is, I would bet that you experience that and think about that far more often than you do your own death. And yet Paul today is going to tell us that those two questions are very intertwined. That for the Christian, our hope in the midst of our suffering and pain is to think about our death. It is to think about what comes next. Not in a morbid way, not in a, I just can't wait to die because this is just terrible way. In a, there's hope. There's something better in what is to come than what is now. There is an end to this suffering, to these burdens that is to come in the next life. Paul actually tells us that for the Christian, our hope and our suffering is a hope than what lies beyond this life, particularly in our new bodies, which will come. Bodies that do not burden, 
bow, are not burdened, and do not decay. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Paul has just talked about, and what we looked at last week with Pastor Ronnie, Paul has talked about this idea that these lives that we have, these suffering and, and mortal and fading and decaying bodies will pass away. He says these phrases. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. He said this last week, our bodies are jars of clay, right? They're breakable, they're fragile, they will not last. There's beauty in this. He says the beauty in this is that it points to the glory of God rather than the glory of ourselves. And he says our outer self is wasting away. It's falling away, it's decaying, it's breaking apart. Continuing this, Paul switches his metaphor from jars of clay to homes of cloth. He calls our bodies tents. Now, my family loves camping. There's few things that we enjoy that calm our hearts, like, like going camping, being out in the, in the, in the, in the woods, uh, I'm feeling the crisp air, a fire crackling, food and tinfoil packets over that fire, crickets chirping, stars ablaze, really bad groundy coffee that we made in our French press over the fire. There's few things that we enjoy more than that. I even enjoy sleeping in a tent a night, <laughs> maybe two. Maybe two. But there comes a point after uncontrolled temperatures, wooded restrooms, and bugs that I'm ready to be back home in my wood walls, my climate control, my comfortable furniture, a porcelain toilet, and if everything is going well in the right season, no bugs. I long for those moments after a couple nights in the tent. A tent, though enjoyable for a time, is not meant to last for an eternity. I don't go to Walmart and buy a $125 Ozark Trails tent and think this is gonna last the rest of my life. And if you have children, you're pleased if it lasts two seasons. But a home, a building, this is meant to last a longer time. My wife and I close on a new house this week and I hope it lasts more than two seasons. Right? I would not put down the down payment I'm putting if I thought that it would only last me two seasons. There's hope that that is going to last longer, that it's going to be something better than a $125 tent from Walmart. Paul is saying, listen, these tents we live in, these jars of clay, they're not designed to last forever. It's not their intended purpose. These bodies, that's not their intended purpose. They will fade away. They will rot. They will break down. But when they do, Christian, when they do, we have this hope and this confidence that there is a home that awaits us which will never break down. That there is a home that awaits us which will never break down. It is not a temporary tent, but an eternal building. It is not made of, of, by man, not with hands, but is crafted and given to us by God for eternity. Paul is talking about our eternal bodies. That now you live in this decaying, broken body, this tent, but one day you will shed this tent and you will be given an eternal building, an eternal body to reside in, void of decay, 
that does not wear out, that does not break down, that is not weathered, that does not tear, that has no burdens. That is the body that we look forward to. 5.1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul says that to live in this tent that we have, this mortal body, to live in this is to live a life of groaning. That while I am in this body, I am groaning. There is a longing for something else, a longing for something more. Like when you wake up camping after a night's sleep or not sleep in that tent and you wake up on a half inflated air mattress and you roll off of it and then slowly stand up to a bend over because the tent is too short to stand up in and then you sneak out that zipper door trip and fall on the way and you just groan. I wish it was time to go home. Paul says, this body is one of groaning. There's burdens here. There's burdens that come from living in a tent. There's burdens that come from carrying this tent, from residing in this tent. There's burdens of sin and of death and of decay and of brokenness and of your body not doing what you once thought it would. There's mental burdens and there's relational burdens and there's financial burdens, there's sin burdens. There are burdens. And these burdens cause us to groan for something more than this tent which we live in. To groan for something that cannot suffer, that cannot decay, that will not be lost. We groan for eternal buildings, heavenly bodies. We want out of this and into that. In 5.4, he says that this is a longing for what is eternal but not for what is non-existent. Let me explain. Paul is not simply longing to not exist. Paul is not simply in this place of suffering, of burdens, where he's like, this is too much. I just want to disappear. I just want to disappear. I just want rid of this so much that I would be better if I didn't exist. That's not Paul's longing. That's not where he's going. Now, Paul's longing for something that is very tangible and very much alive, very much in existence. Paul's longing for something that is truly in existence. He's longing for this eternal body. He doesn't just want to fade away. He doesn't just want to disappear. He doesn't want to vanish into nothing. He wants God's promised body that he is to receive. Now, I know I'm not the only one here because I know many of your stories, but man, there have been many times in my life or I just wanted to disappear. Right, where the, the suffering, the anxiety, the grief, the pain, the depression was so heavy that I just didn't want to be here. But to where the idea of death sounded like such a sweet relief. Not in like a, the way that Paul's describing here of longing for, 
for, for something more, something eternal, just in, I don't even care about that. I just don't want to exist. And then when that would terrify me, I would turn to, well, maybe I don't want to just not exist, but I wish I lived someplace where no one knew I existed. Could I just move to the mountains, move to the beach, be a bum, live on nothing? No one even know or care that I'm there? Sounds so much better than people seeing me and noticing me and these sufferings. Paul's hope is not in not existing, but his hope is in truly existing. His hope is not that he would just disappear or that no one would notice him, but that he would be truly noticed, that he would be truly known, that he would be truly alive, that he would truly exist in his eternal body. That is what his hope was in. Life, how it was meant to be lived, eternal, unburdened, unbroken, untainted. He wants this life that is only found in Jesus. Now, we see here that Paul actually describes three different scenarios of what he thinks could happen. Three different scenarios of what he thinks could happen. Let me read the rest of our passage as it spans the rest of it. Verse four, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For while we walk by faith, not for, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul has three scenarios that could happen. Scenario one is a new body. Scenario two is death. And scenario three is keep on living. His first scenario, a new body. What Paul is longing for, church, what his deepest desire is, is for the second coming of Christ. Paul wants Christ to return. And he says, because what I want is not simply to lose this body, to die and be absent of this body, but what I long for is to get my new body. A new body that we know comes at the second coming of Christ, at the final resurrection of the dead. And for the Christian, the new body doesn't come the moment we die in this life, but it comes when Christ returns and resurrects the dead. And he goes, I want that body. So my deepest desire is that I don't die and Jesus just comes back today. How glorious would it be, church, if we don't even have to sing our benediction today? We don't even have to sing the benediction in this room today. We don't have to sing that. We don't have to, to do the Lord's Supper again because we'll be sitting at the feast with the Lamb face to face with Jesus today. How glorious would it be if this was just the last symbol we saw and we stepped into eternity with Christ? His second coming, how beautiful would that be that whatever ailment, whatever burden you walked in here with today, you don't walk out of here with for you have a new body this day. He goes, that's what I'm longing for. The deepest desire of my heart is that Christ would come back and that I would get this body. That I would get this body. He says it this way. He says, not that we would be unclothed in verse four or naked, but further clothed. 
My hope's not that I would be unclothed from this body, take this, these clothing, this flesh off, and just be naked, but that I would be able to be put on a new body, be further clothed than what I already am, truly clothed. And he uses this, he says, oh, oh, that what is mortal would be swallowed up by life. Oh, that what is mortal would be swallowed up for life, that the giant mouth of eternity would open up and swallow what is temporary. What a thing he is waiting for. This life, its sufferings, its burdens, its pains, the strivings, as grand as they appear right now, as all-consuming as they are right now, as overwhelming as they feel, this life and its sufferings is merely a minnow in a sea of eternity. And Paul is like a little kid standing at that giant window of the aquarium, watching the minnow swim by as eternal life swims up and swallows it whole. And he's going, yes! He's like a little kid going, that's so cool! Someone else is traumatized because a living thing just got eaten. But he's like, that is so cool. Did you see how it just swallowed it whole? He's going, oh, Oh, that the second coming of Christ and my new body would just come swallow me whole. And that in an instant, I would be free of my burdens. That these jars of clay would be turned into eternal bodies. That this tent would be no more. But Paul knows that this might not happen. And what we know is it did not happen for Paul. Christ did not return. Paul says the second possibility is this, I could die. The first one is that Christ comes back. That's, my, that's the best option, new body immediately. Secondly, I could die. I could die. For to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. In verses six through eight, he says, we know that while we are at home in this body, right, in this flesh, in this tent, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. So Paul goes, if I can't take my new body on right now and be present with the Lord in my new body, the next best thing is that I do die. I am stripped of this body. I am found naked, but I'm naked with God. I'm in the presence of God naked for my body. That's better than living on in this body. It is better to be with God by sight than a apart from God, by faith. Death for the believer is to be present with God. Right? Not in our perfected bodies. We get those in the final resurrection. Apparently we're bodiless souls, not bodiless souls wandering around aimlessly, homelessly. Not bodiless souls that are in some form of sleep, waiting. Paul wouldn't necessarily see that as a comfort. We are Bodiless souls that are present with God, and that is better than being embodied in this broken, burdened flesh. Man, I wish Christ would return and I would get my body today. If that can't happen, oh, I wish I would die and I would be present with God today, waiting the eternal body there, freed of this burdened soul. Kevin DeYoung illustrated this desire, this longing, as if someone has given you a great castle in a faraway land, you long to get to this castle. You know this castle is beautiful. You, you've heard stories of it. But along with this castle, what you've been given is a tent. Only one tent. You can't purchase another tent. You get one tent 
and you have to walk to your new castle carrying your tent and sleeping in it every day. And it's a very, very far off land. So you journey. And there's beautiful sights along the walk. And there's wonderful relationships that you build. And there's enjoyment to be had. And there's pleasures to be found in this journey. There's also sorrows. There's nights that you don't have enough food. And there's days when you injure yourself. And there's people you meet who are not so kind and they wound you. But you keep walking and you keep setting up your tent and you keep sleeping day after day after day, journeying to your castle. But as time goes, your tent shows some wear and tear, begins to rip, gets mildewed, it's leaking. You do all that you can to repair it because after all, it's the only tent that you have. But eventually it's not enough. And just when you think there's no way your tent will last another day, you come over the hill and you see your castle. You take one look and it is breathtaking. All this walk has been worth it for that castle. So you take your tent off your back, you look at it and smile one last time, and you chunk it into the woods, and you go running to your castle. He goes, this is what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, I've been on this journey with my tent to the castle, to the building, to the eternal body that awaits me. And I cannot wait to throw this tent into the woods and to get that castle. I long for that. The third option that he does, that he looks at, is this. If Christ is not going to return today and give me my new body, and if he's not going to allow me to die today and to be with him, then the third option is to live by faith that pleases God. My third option then is to live today by faith that pleases God, verses eight through nine. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So whether I get Christ today in his second coming, whether I get him today in my death or whether I am living another day in this tent, facing my burdens and my sufferings another day, whatever God's choice for me today is, I make it my aim to please him. Or as he has said already, that I walk by faith. That I walk by faith. That we would live today in faith that pleases him. Paul addresses this hope Elsewhere in Philippians chapter one, verse 20, he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. 
it is far better for me to die and to be with Christ. But as long as he chooses for me to live, to live is Christ. To live each day with faith that pleases him. Faith that pleases him. See, part of the problem, Christian, is that too many of us consider this life that we're in as our eternal building and heaven being a place that's full of tents. We have no grander picture of what heaven is like. We have no hope of it being better. Right? Whether it's culture, society, lack of actually studying the scriptures. When we think of heaven, we think of clouds, naked babies, harps, singing all day, repetition. What, what is that even? How does that give me any hope or joy? What is that for me? And we don't think of heaven. We don't think of eternity as perfect, eternal, burdenless bodies that we receive, that we get to live an eternal life in, free of sin and pain and brokenness. When we do, it begins to spur within us this desire that while we are here, we live each day in faith to please him. So here's what Paul has told us so far. Your hope in suffering, decaying, burdened bodies is that one day you will receive an eternal body. And he tells us in verse five that the assurance of that is the spirit which we have received. We talked about that in chapter one of this book as well. Secondly, he says, I wish that I would return, that Christ would return right now and that life would swallow up this body and I would receive the body now. Third, if that can't happen today, I'm ready to die for a bodiless presence with God is better than an embodied absence from God. And fourth, if that can't happen today, then I'm going to live by faith so that I may please God. I'm going to live by faith so that I may please God. What is faith that pleases God? What is faith that pleases God? Two things. First, I believe faith that pleases God is faith that is in Jesus Christ alone. Right? Faith in yourself is not what pleases God. Faith in another version of God is not what pleases God. Faith in Muhammad or, or another, another form of God, another idea of God is not what pleases him. Faith in your own abilities doesn't please him. Faith in Jesus alone pleases God. And Jesus explained this to us very plainly, and we said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. It's faith in him which pleases God. Doesn't matter what your actions are. Doesn't matter what your life is. It doesn't matter how good you behave, how many people you help, how, how put together you are, how moral you are, how you vote in the election, how you parent your kids, how often you go to church. If all of those are void of faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, in his death, burial, and resurrection, for your forgiveness of sins, if it's void of that faith, it's pointless. It's pointless. Faith that pleases God is faith in Jesus. Secondly, faith that pleases God is faith that is accompanied by works. Right? In other words, if we do not have transformed lives, renewed desires, changed actions, Godward thoughts, we should not be confident that our faith in Jesus is true. Chapter 5, verse 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Now, what we know from scripture is that you are not saved by your works. It's through faith in Christ. But church, what we also know from scripture is that professed faith in Christ that is void of works is not saving faith. Let me read to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, which we'll look at next week. He died for all so that those who live may not live for themselves, but for him who died to save us. Or you were die, you were, he died for you so that you would live for him. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created beforehand that we should walk in them. Or James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way? Verse 26, for as, a body, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. What we are not saying is that your works are what saves you. You're saved by faith through Christ, through what the work that he did on the cross, his works save you. His works save you. Our faith, our salvation, our pleasing of God, faith that pleases God is faith that's placed in the finished work of Christ and what he did on the cross. When we could not please God, he did. When we sinned, he didn't. Our salvation is found in Christ's finished work. But we also see that the one who has placed their faith in that finished work, his or her life is full of works, desiring to please him. A growing faith, renewed mind, changed behaviors, longing for different thoughts, desire to rid yourself of sin, a longing to be made holy, Desire to be rid of your brokenness of your own sin, your own flesh. Saving faith is accompanied by this. So the passage today is one of incredible hope to the Christian. You live today in a broken, decayed body, burdened and suffering, but one day you'll receive a new body when Christ returns, an eternal body lack of, with a lack of decay, a lack of burdens. Look to that day and have hope. 
as you face depression today, as you face anxiety, as you face suffering and hardships, grief, loss, sin, long for that day when you get that perfect body. If Christ does not return while we are alive, Christian, we will die. And when we die, we will be present with the Lord. And oh, what a great moment that will be as well. Long for that day. Long for death in a way of hope. And as long as the Lord gives you a day to live, live it in faith to please him. See, now, Josh, wait a minute. Um, that makes me really afraid. That, 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 that terrifies me a little bit because, like, you, I know me. I know my brokenness. I know how little my faith is. I know my doubts. I know my fears. I know my disobedience. I know sins no one else knows about me. I know how I want to overcome this, and I just can't, how I'm being dominated by this sin day in and day out. Like, my life is not pleasing to God at all. This is concerning to me. If that's you, my hope to you today is that that does not sound like the response of one who does not have saving faith. Faith that pleases God is not perfect faith. It's not faith that is void of sin or doubt or brokenness. It's faith that realizes you're unable to have perfect faith and clings to Jesus day in and day out. If you hear this and your heart feels alerted, good news, you're probably either being converted right now or you are converted and this is a testimony to that. But if you hear that and you're apathetic to it, you don't have to worry about it. You've got it all put together. Your life is neat and tidy. You can handle this, or you just don't think this is even true. You don't need Christ. Then the concern for you, the warning to you, is that one day you will stand before the judgment of Christ. And he will judge. He will give to you what is due you for what you have done in this life, whether good or evil. And those two words used throughout the New Testament represent those who are in Christ and those who are not. So if you're apathetic to that, would you come to Christ today? If you're like, I've got this all together, would you just pause for a moment and go, maybe you don't? Maybe you have too much confidence in yourself and not enough in Christ and his finished work on the cross? If you just don't care, would would your heart be drawn to care today? And then Christian, as you leave here and you go home to suffer today, whatever suffering and burden you have, May you suffer in faith, faith that pleases him, faith that looks to the finished work of Christ, and faith that hopes in the body that he has promised you. Suffer well, be burdened well, and long for the day when Christ will make all things new. That is our hope, Christian. Oh, may it come today. May we not have to go to two services. May we not even have to eat breakfast tomorrow. What a joy if we would just eat the banquet table of the lamb tonight. Christ, would you come soon?
would you come and would you make all things new? Oh, as faces of people in this room cross my mind and their suffering and their burdens and their fears, would you come and would you make those things new as life swallows up death? we not have to see our kids grow up in a broken world. May we not have to see ourselves wrestle with sin another day. Would you come and come quickly? And until you do, may we walk into the face of our suffering and our pain with courage, aiming to please you with our faith, knowing that you have done all that is required to save us. This life will end, but our new bodies will last forever. So may we walk to that castle with joy, awaiting the day we get to chunk our tent into the woods. May we be faithful today. Church, as we conclude today, we invite you to come take communion And as you do so, what a special thing to get to look at this bread, Christ's broken body, and this juice, his shed blood, and get to know that this is representation that because of his broken body and his shed blood, one day we will get to eat with him in eternity. May that be fresh in our minds. May we take this today and worship over that. If you're not a believer, we'd ask that you not come take. We'd ask that you stay in your seat, and today that you would consider death that you consider what comes after death, that you would consider the judgment where you will stand before Christ, and that today you would place your faith in Jesus. That's our invitation to you. Come and take church. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.